Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. On the 55th anniversary of the assassination of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., the Black Alliance for Peace launches a campaign to establish a zone of peace in the Americas. It is the U.S. empire that's primarily responsible for the, the havoc, the death and destruction, instability that we see and experience in our region. From Haiti to Cuba to Nicaragua, the alliance wants the U.S. to stop preaching democracy, all the while destabilizing sovereign governments in this hemisphere. Southcom, like AFRICOM, exists to secure resources for U.S. multinational corporations and in so doing, exert control over people and the governments that should represent them. We'll also speak to our media critic, John Jeter. All that and more coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. Well, after two nights of brutal attacks by Israeli forces on Palestinian worshipers at the Al-Aqsa Mosque in occupied East Jerusalem, Israeli forces prevented Palestinians from entering the mosque on Thursday while allowing Israeli settlers to illegally enter the compound, according to Middle East Eye and Al Jazeera. During the two nights of attacks, when tens of thousands were praying at the mosque during the holy month of Ramadan, Israeli forces fired stun grenades and tear gas into the thousand-year-old building, threw Palestinians on the ground, stomped on them, beat them with the butts of assault rifles and batons, and bound their hands behind their backs. Dozens were injured. At least 400 people were arrested. Eyewitness Firas al-Dibs told Middle East Eye, quote, They want to create a new reality. They want to empty Al-Aqsa Mosque of Palestinians. In response to the attacks, rockets were fired from the Gaza Strip toward Israel early Wednesday morning, and the Israeli military launched a series of airstrikes on Gaza. More rockets were fired from Gaza on Thursday after Wednesday night's storming of the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Common Dreams added that in the wake of Wednesday night's attacks, several rockets were fired into Israel from southern Lebanon on Thursday, and that the Israeli military responded to its northern neighbor with artillery fire, raising fears of a broader regional conflagration. The UN Security Council was set to hold a closed-door emergency session on Thursday to discuss Israeli assaults on peaceful Palestinian worshipers at the mosque compound. In Washington, D.C., a hands-off Al-Aqsa protest is planned for Saturday, April 8th at 1 p.m. at the Lincoln Memorial. Republicans in the Tennessee House of Representatives voted to expel Representatives Justin Jones and Justin J. Pearson, two of three Democrats who recently interrupted a floor session with chants for gun control in the wake of a mass shooting at an elementary school in Nashville on March 27th. A third participant in the peaceful protest, Representative Gloria Johnson, who was white, survived an effort for her removal by just one vote. This is Representative Justin Jones speaking on the floor of the House before the vote on his ouster. For so long, this body, drunk with power, has modeled for the world what we know as nothing less than authoritarianism. And today is the climax of that behavior. 
that a week after a mass shooting plagued our community, the most direct action this legislative body takes, or should I say my colleagues on the other side of the aisle are taking, is to expel us for speaking about the issues of weapons of war on our streets. We called for you all to ban assault weapons, and you respond with an assault on democracy. That is why the nation is watching you today. And I say to my colleagues on the other side of the aisle that no matter what you vote, you have the votes, but you will not be victorious because there are generations of young people who see what is going on. There are young people that as you try and beat us down, they are rising up to take back the state from the extreme forces that have sought to take away the democratic process, the deliberative process on last Thursday when thousands gathered here tried to silence members from talking about the issue of gun violence because they were afraid that a conversation would remind people that there is complicity of this body in what happened at Covenant Elementary School. The Republican-led ouster of Jones and Pearson, which occurred as crowds of young people rallied outside the chambers, has been condemned across Tennessee and the United States. Legislators, national rights leaders, and even the White House have denounced the ousters as an undemocratic move that disenfranchises the citizens who elected both men to represent them. In Philadelphia, lawyers for imprisoned journalist Mumia Abu-Jamal say that they will appeal a recent decision by Common Pleas Court Judge Lucretia Clemens to not grant Mumia a new trial in the 1981 murder of Philadelphia police officer David Faulkner. And this is even after new evidence was presented that prosecutors had illegally withheld materials concerning the credibility of key witnesses and had sought to disqualify most potential jurors who weren't white. There was also evidence of the judge in the case making a racist remark about his intent to, quote, help them, the jury, fry that N-word, end quote. An appeal in this case could take months. And finally, in culture and media, organizations around the country are celebrating the 125th birthday of the freedom fighter and Renaissance man Paul Robeson on April 9th. He was an actor, orator, athlete, lawyer, singer, author, scholar, linguist, and activist who would not bow to U.S. McCarthyism and racism and was persecuted and targeted by the government. As part of the celebration by WPFW Pacifica Radio in Washington, D.C., on the ground, we'll speak to Robeson biographer Professor Gerald Horn and perhaps other scholars on next week's show. And those are headlines and happenings. Stay with us. I wish I knew how it would feel to be free. I wish I could break all the chains holding me. I wish I could say all the things that I should say. Say them loud, say them clear For the whole round world here I wish I could share All the love that's in my heart Remove all the bars that keep 
Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We will get started. My name is Julie Varaghese, and I am on the operations team of the Black Alliance for Peace, as well as one of the coordinators of the Black Alliance for Peace Solidarity Network. Today, we are holding press events and launch events in three different cities here in Washington, D.C., as well as in Havana, Cuba, and in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And uh, so this Zone of Peace that, uh, campaign that we are launching is intended to activate a declaration that was put out in 2014 by the community of Latin American and Caribbean states, and it's intended to bring together popular forces throughout the Americas region to ensure that the declaration is implemented by through a people-centered process. And so some of the organizations that the Black Alliance for Peace is coordinating this effort with, some of the key partner organizations include Molagaf in Haiti, Proceso de Comunidades de Negras in uh, PCN in Colombia, as well as Asociación de Trabajadores del Campo in Nicaragua, Task Force on the Americas, United Na National Anti-War Coalition, Alliance for Global Justice, as well as several other organizations across the region, including one other like the Black is Back Coalition for Social Justice, Peace and Reparations, and many other organizations, peace-loving organizations across the region. And so today we are going to have four speakers to present on the Zone of Peace campaign that the Black Alliance for Peace is launching today with these organizations. And our first speaker will be Ajamo Baraka, who is the chair of the Black Alliance for Peace Coordinating Committee. Then we will have Jamima Pierre, who is a co-coordinator of the Black Alliance for Peace Haiti Americas team. Then we'll have Nina Makapinlak, who is the Secretary General of Bayan USA, and Margaret Kimberly, who is one of the coordinating committee members of the Black Alliance for Peace. And so first we'll have Ajamu Baraka. Ajamu is the former national organizer of the Black Alliance for Peace, and he is now chair of the Black Alliance for Peace Coordinating Committee. Baraka was the 2016 candidate for vice president on the Green Party ticket. So I'll pass it on to Ajamu. Thank you, Julie. And thank everyone who will be joining us and are here at this moment for this, I think, historic event. Today is April the 4th. The launching of this campaign was a deliberate decision made by the Black Alliance of Peace. Uh, to launch on this day. April the 4th, 2017, is the day that we actually launched the Black Alliance for Peace, an organization that is committed to attempting to revive the traditional anti-war and anti-imperialist traditions of uh, the Black radical movement in our country, in the U.S. It is also a day that we chose because one of the symbols of the opposition to war and militarism was taken from us on this day by elements uh, that we claim and argue are associated, were associated with the U.S. state. And that individual, of course, was Martin Luther King. So we thought that today would be the most appropriate day to launch this 
historic effort to not only uh, raise up Dr. King, but also to remind our members uh, and to remind the world that we have this formation in place and we are, in fact, committed to a new form of anti-war and anti-imperialist politics. This is a monumental um, attempt. CELAC made a call to, to transform our region. When we say our region, we mean the Americas, into a zone of peace. This was a, a declaration that we thought was very, very important. But it was a declaration issued by states. And we recognize that we're not going to be able to transform ourselves and transform the politics of this region unless we have a massive regional-wide popular movement. So that is what we are attempting to try to organize. Now, we have no illusions about our ability to pull this off by ourselves. That capacity does not exist. So what we have been doing over the last year is engaging in conversations, uh, building relationships with our allies and friends from across the region, because this has to be a regional-wide effort. But we recognize, though, that even though we know we have to have a regional-wide effort, we have a special responsibility, those of us who are at the center of empire, because it is the U.S. empire that's primarily responsible for the, the havoc, the death and destruction, instability that we see and experience in our region. So while we are building this regional-wide campaign, we understand that we have got to also build sufficient capacity and power among the progressive elements in the United States also. So today is the day that we make uh, this declaration to, uh, to the world that we are going to attempt to build this. We see this as something that we have to do, especially at this historical moment when we see a deepening crisis among those forces uh, that are primarily responsible for uh, most of the death and destruction on this planet, that they are committed to using their power to try to maintain the hegemony uh, and they're committed to militarism, to in the assertion of that power. And so we have to build a counter movement. They cannot assert themselves militarily without the support of the people, without the support in the United States of the people. But we intend to undermine that support, uh, to present a different image of what we need to be building, to build the capacity to to resist the emergence of death. So today is our declaration, our commitment uh, to building this process and to asking everyone in this, who's in the sound of our voice, everyone who will be reading our materials over the next few weeks and months to consider joining us in this effort. We have the majority, folks. We are, in fact, the majority. And if we have a vision that we can be more than what we are today, and we have the capacity through building organization, we in fact can transform ourselves and can transform the conditions. So we say, join us and we will uh, talk about how we do this uh, and build the capacity, move uh, ourselves forward and to build the kind of powerful movement we have to build in order to be successful. Thank you, Ajamu. 
So if you have any questions, uh, members of the press on Zoom or Facebook or in person, please hold on to them until the questions portion. Our next speaker is Jamima Pierre. She is the one of the coordinators of the Haiti America's team of the Black Alliance for Peace. She also serves as professor of African American studies and anthropology at UCLA and is an editor and contributor for the Black Agenda Report. Thank you, Jamima. Thank you so much, everyone, for being here. When in 2004, the U.S., France, and Canada succeeded in its coup d'etat against Haiti's democratically elected president, very few other countries in the region criticized the move. In fact, similar to reactions of today, most governments followed the lead of the U.S. when it came to imperial policies in Haiti. After the 2004 coup, Haiti was subjected to uh, a combined military intervention by the United States, France, and Canada, comprising a multinational interim force called MINISTA, a multi-billion dollar operation. MINISTA had at any given time between 6,000 and 12,000 military troops and police stationed in Haiti alongside thousands of civilian personnel. Importantly, MINISTA was the first security mission in the region under the auspices of the UN to be led by Brazilian and Chilean militaries and almost entirely composed of Latin American forces, particularly from Brazil, Argentina, Chile, Bolivia, Ecuador, and Uruguay. And the UN occupation under MINISTA was marked by its brutality towards Haitian people. In addition to bringing cholera to the country, UN forces were used to quell pro-democracy protests Peacekeepers also uh, participated in extensive exploitation of the people and exploitation and killing of the people. But one of the reasons that the brutal UN military occupation of Haiti could fly under the radar was because it was populated by a multinational, multiracial military and civilian force, mostly from the region. Why is it so easy for these non-white and oppressed nations to come and serve U.S. and Western imperial interests in Haiti? Could it be that they too have imbibed the dehumanized and frankly racist views of Haitian people? One would think so if one viewed the recent actions by some leaders in the region that deploy the similar racist tropes and assumptions about Haiti and are openly supporting another US-Canada-sponsored foreign military inv invasion and occupation of Haiti. While it is claimed that this military occupation officially ended in 2017 with the dissolution of MINISTA, it continues through the core group made up of representatives of Brazil, Canada, France, Germany, US, Spain, European Union, and importantly, the Organization of American States. The core group works hand in hand with the US State Department and is the imperial power behind the ongoing destruction of Haiti's sovereignty. In the first instance, Haiti is the perfect site to help us understand the contemporary guises and articulations of U.S. and Western imperialism in the region. With Haiti as clear model and in the continuation of the Monroe Doctrine, the U.S. government has greatly expanded its military force in the region. Southcom, for example, is a key, key concern. Incorporating the Caribbean and South and Central America, U.S. Southern Command, or Southcom, claims to be protecting human rights in the region as a long-term responsibility through the development of regional militaries controlled and facilitated by the U.S. Southcom works to extend U.S. military influence throughout the Americas and to promote militarism in line with U.S. interests, relying on spurious claims of humanitarian assistance and disaster relief. 
in counter-narcotics operations to increase U.S. control over the region. Each year, SOUTHCOM uses humanitarian assistance exercises and disaster response as military training platforms. So the official linking of the military humanitarianism comes through the renewed U.S. Monroe Doctrine, now called the Global Fragilities Act, a 10-year plan that the U.S. would allow for the integration and sequencing of U.S. diplomatic development and military-related efforts in the region. The Black Alliance for Peace Haiti Americas team is coordinating a collective campaign for a zone of peace in our Americas. But we say that Haiti is key to the liberation and transformation of the Americas region. Haiti is part of the global anti-colonial revolutionary project and revolutionary Pan-African movement. Therefore, for BAP, Haiti is the entry point for our expanded work in the Americas. Haiti has been a focal point for Pan-African liberation and anti-colonial struggle since 1791, cemented its liberatory and revolutionary character through the adoption of a new flag in 1803 and proclaimed independence. In recognizing Haiti's critical place in the struggle for both Black liberation and anti-colonial independence fights throughout the Americas, we also understand the U.S. empire's interest in the expansion of hegemony has resulted in constant reactionary onslaught against the people of Haiti and decades of instability for the nation and region as a whole. As the Haiti Americas team, we are focused on achieving liberation of all peoples in the region and real peace in the Americas. We call for an international zone of peace in the Americas. And as part of this, we must both understand the extent of U.S. imperialism in the Americas and work to join our peoples and organizations in coordinating an anti-militarist and anti-imperialist struggle. This call for peace is a call for the peoples and nations of the Caribbean and Latin America to resist the US-EU-NATO axis of domination, increasing the increasing militarization of our region and the US-NATO soft power practices in our Americas. So our demands are to dismantle Southcom, for the United States to return to Cuba and its people, the, the territory illegally, occupied by the Guantanamo Naval Base, the stopping of military interventions into Haiti, the shutdown of the state terrorist training facility called the Western Hemisphere Institute for Security Cooperation, and we oppose all illegal sanctions and blockades of nations in our regions, including all economic warfare and lawfare, and we recognize their sovereignty. Thank you. Thank you, Jamima. So our next speaker is Nina Makapinlak, she is the Secretary General of Bayan USA, an anti-imperialist alliance of over 20 national democratic organizations that are fighting for a genuine democracy and national liberation in the Philippines. Warm and militant greetings. Bayan USA is a proud member of the United National Anti-War Coalition, or UNAC, and we are happy to be here today to commemorate the sixth anniversary of Black Alliance for Peace, and support the launching of the Zones of Peace campaign. We remember the great Martin Luther King Jr., the anti-capitalist, anti-war Martin Luther King Jr., who spoke out against the oppression of Black people in the U.S. and against the oppression of peoples everywhere under U.S. imperialism. From the ranks of grassroots anti-imperialist Filipino youth, students, workers, professionals, women, and migrants, Bayan USA condemns U.S.-led war both in the U.S. and our homelands. 
with almost half of the world's GDP. The Asia-Pacific is central for any state aspiring to hold the mantle of global superpower. It is no wonder then that the Asia-Pacific is home to some of the most significant and consolidated U.S.-led agreements in the world after the mostly Europe-centric NATO. With the rise of China as a competing superpower and the signaling of an adversary military alliance in the Shanghai Cooperation Alliance, the U.S. Pacific Command was renamed Indo-Pacific Command in 2018 to expand its operations. The treaty signed by the U.S. gave it easy access to territories through the allowance of overseas military bases, public displays of strength through joint military exercises, reliable markets for weapon sales, and the assurance that signed countries will support any U.S.-led war in the name of so-called mutual defense. All this has disastrous effects on the livelihoods of the people of the world. In the Philippines, we see this playing out with the U.S. Marcos II regime. The son of an infamous dictator, Bongbong Marcos Jr., just approved the expansion of U.S. bases in four additional Philippine facilities. It is no coincidence that these four new facilities are along the so-called first island chain, a string of islands including <coughs> Taiwan and Okinawa, to face China and serve as the first line of defense against China's long-range missiles. The Indo-Pacific Command is establishing a network of precision strike missiles along the first island chain as part of the $27.4 billion budget to be spent by the U.S. in the Indo-Pacific. The U.S. so desperately wants to contain and if need be destroy China in order to maintain its desperate and dying empire. On April 11, Bayan USA will protest the start of the largest balikatan exercises or shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder military exercises. This will be the largest ever balikatan exercises with 12,000 U.S. troops, 5,000 Filipino troops, and over 100 Australian troops. For the first time ever, these exercises will include maritime training, which will include sinking a ship with missiles in the contested West Philippine Sea in the waters facing Taiwan. This is all meant to intimidate and challenge China and stoke the flames of war, the opposite of assuring peace for our people. As Filipinos, we condemn this military posturing and the undermining of our national sovereignty. Our homelands are not a playground for the U.S. to launch its wars of aggression. We condemn the expansion of the U.S. war machine. No compromise, no retreat. We stand alongside our allies in UNAC, like Black Alliance for Peace, to fight for a just and lasting peace and build a grassroots mass movement to do just that. U.S. imperialist number one terrorist. Long live international solidarity. Thank you, Nina. This is Esther Ivarum, producer and host of On the Ground, thanking you for listening and for being a part of our audience. And I'm asking you to please partner with us in keeping alive this independent grassroots news program from Washington, D.C. So please go to our page at patreon.com forward slash on the ground show. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash on the ground show. Or you can see all the ways to support, including end-of-the-year giving and PayPal on our website, which you know is onthegroundshow.org. Thank you. Freedom! Freedom! It's still a full of freedom.
Margaret Kimberly. Margaret is a member of the Black Alliance for Peace Coordinating Committee and one of the coordinators of the Black Alliance for Peace Africa team. She is also the executive editor of Black Agenda Report and host of the Black Agenda radio podcast. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you and greetings to everyone for joining us today as we launch the Black Alliance for Peace Zone of Peace campaign. We are following the community of Latin American and Caribbean states, CELAC, in their 2014 declaration made at their meeting in Havana, Cuba, that the Caribbean and Latin America should be a zone of peace and affirming that the peoples of this hemisphere must play a role in that process of freeing themselves from US militarism and other forms of interference. The Zone of Peace Declaration was groundbreaking in its scope, with members pledging to support a principle of non-intervention, mutual cooperation, and a commitment to be guided by international law and the United Nations Charter. The proclamation also reaffirmed the commitment to keep the Caribbean and Latin America a nuclear-free zone. Of course, the Black Alliance for Peace supports that proclamation, but today we announce that we are doing more than that. As always, Black Alliance for Peace affirms the right of peoples to self-determination, and that means there must be grassroots popular support for the zone of peace concept. It isn't enough for states to make these declarations. The people must have a voice too if this declaration is to become a reality. In our declaration, we say that BAP is building a region-wide coalition to rid the Americas of warmongers and foster a network of popular people's struggles, grounded and informed by the needs and aspirations of the oppressed, This network would anchor a unified comprehensive strategy for decolonization and radical social change. The states of the region are in fact under constant attack from the US. This year is the 200th anniversary of the Monroe Doctrine in which the US declared that European states must stay out of the hemisphere, which meant that the US was claiming the entire region as its own. And to this day, the idea of the Caribbean, Central America, and South America being a backyard of Washington is openly expressed. SALAC exists as an effort to counteract the control the U.S. exerts through the Organization of American States. 
The Washington-based OAS is nothing more than the means for the U.S. to prevent the rest of the region from acting with any degree of sovereignty. If there is no people-centered approach, then we see Southcom undermining national and popular rights. These U.S. command structures, Southcom, Africom, Indo-Pacificcom, etc., exist for the purpose of exercising U.S. control over the entire planet with its doctrine of full-spectrum dominance. At Black Alliance for Peace, we initiated the U.S. Out of Africa Shut Down Africom campaign, and every October during Africom's founding anniversary, we mobilize people in this hemisphere and in Africa itself to say, shut down AFRICOM, withdraw U.S. forces from Africa, demilitarize the continent, close the 800 U.S. bases that exist outside of this country, including in Africa and every other continent, and we call on the Congressional Black Caucus to hold hearings on the impact of AFRICOM. Of course, we want to shut down SOUTHCOM too. The SOUTHCOM commander openly says the more usually more quiet part out loud, quote, why is the region important? With all its rich resources and rare earth elements, there's a lithium triangle, which is necessary for technology. 60% of the world's lithium is found in the lithium triangle of Argentina, Bolivia, and Chile, unquote. She added a need to box out our adversaries, and she mentioned China and box out our competitors in the region. Southcom, like AFRICOM, exists to secure resources for U.S. multinational corporations and in so doing, exert control over people and the governments that should represent them. There are many things I could talk about in this short time, but I briefly want to mention Nicaragua. Like Haiti and other countries in the region, it suffered under U.S. attack for decades. Way back in the 1850s, a man named William Walker took a gang of mercenaries to Nicaragua, involved himself in the Civil War, and declared himself the president. And he was recognized by President Franklin Pierce. But the U.S. sent Marines to Nicaragua in the 20th century, who stayed for nearly 20 years. And now that nation's still under attack. Why? Because people there dared to elect the government of their choice. Today, the U.S. doesn't send in Marines, but it will sanction nations like Nicaragua and Cuba and Venezuela and others around the world. And yes, sanctions kill. In Nicaragua, the U.S. attempted a coup as late as 2018, and recently the Secretary of State welcomed some of the coup makers in what? to Washington and uses war propaganda and even the United Nations, which is used to file spurious charges of human rights violations at the behest of the U.S. That's why BAP is needed to reach people in this region, to educate and mobilize them and help make the zone of peace uh, a reality. BAP was founded in order to oppose these structures. Founded on this date in 2017, and we continue to be true to our mission and our principles of unity, which bring us together to say, shut down Southcom, Yankees go home, and make the region a zone of peace. Thank you. Thank you, Margaret. We are going to take questions now from Zoom. Our, our press participants on Zoom, on Facebook, and in person. And I see we have a question in the audience. Uh, can you say your name and your question? Sure. Um, yeah, uh, so my name is John. Uh, my question is, uh, what does that look to get out of this campaign? 
So for the uh, people online who may not have heard, the question is, what does BAP hope to get out of this campaign? And who'd like to take that question? John Morgan. Okay. Thank you. Um, there are a few things we have to try to, um, to achieve. Uh, in terms of, of executing the campaign, we want to build uh, two structures. One will be a, a regional-wide coordinating structure uh, that will continue to develop the campaign. But we also are going to build a, a mass structure uh, called the U.S.-NATO Out of the Americas Network. Uh, they will be geared toward mobilizing the support and the power of the people to expel those forces, specifically the U.S. settler state and NATO, from our region. Now, when we say expel the U.S. from the region, we're not talking about the uh, people of the United States, but we're talking about the, the settler colonial state that has demonstrated that it is incapable of living in our region in peace, that uh, it will continue to evoke uh, a repression and to uh, impose itself on the uh, democratic aspirations of the people of this region. We see the U.S. and NATO as representing a uh, existential threat, uh, not only to the people of our region, but to collective humanity. Unless there's a shift of power from these maniacs, uh, then we are all threatened. So this campaign is to help us to build that ability to, in fact, do that. And, and, and let us say this. We understand that, uh, you know, there's a certain kind of politi politics we see in the U.S. Some of us refer to this as the politics of pragmatism. We believe that there is uh, significant sectors of the population that are prepared to engage in a real effort to transform ourselves, that they are fed up with unending wars. They are fed up with seeing their, their resources plundered by elements of the military industrial complex. Uh, we, they, they, they see the, the obscene profits that have been made just from the uh, Ukrainian manufactured crisis in war where the energy companies and the military arms suppliers are reaping uh, obscene levels of profits. They are beginning to see that war, in fact, is a racket. And so they are prepared to oppose this. And that opposition is what the rulers in this uh, oligarchy are attempting to try to undermine. They don't want that kind of awareness to become more aware of itself. Well, this campaign is geared to, in fact, uh, uh, deal with that, to, to bring that kind of opposition to the surface. We want to do a few things in terms of our concrete objectives in this campaign. One, we want to dismantle Southcom and shut down the 76 military bases in our region. We want to end all U.S. and NATO military exercises, close all foreign military bases, installations, and enclaves, as well as withdraw foreign occupation forces from our region. We want to disband U.S.-sponsored state terrorist training facilities uh, like the Western Hemisphere Institute for Security Cooperation, 
formerly known as the School of the Americas, basically a, a, a terrorist facility. And we want to oppose and we reject any attempt to try to legitimize a military intervention into Haiti. And we say that the Guantanamo territory must be returned. Guantanamo and Cuba must be returned to the people uh, of Cuba and to the Cuban state. And we say, as a few have already indicated, sanctions are a form of war. They murder people. They don't respect democratic and human rights. They don't respect national sovereignty. Uh, we say in illegal sanctions and blockades of our uh, regional states, including all economic warfare, lawfare, and recognize the sovereignty and of these states and respect their attempts at self-determination. That's what we hope to achieve uh, in this campaign. All right. Thank you. So do we have any questions from online, from Zoom or from Facebook? According to the State Department website, the designation of major non-NATO ally status has been given to three countries of our region, Argentina, Brazil, and Colombia. It's defined as a designation under U.S. law that provides foreign partners with certain benefits in the areas of defense, trade, and security cooperation. Do you have an ask or message for these governments? Uh, and this is from Camila from Kyle Schwann News. Well, we are, um, oh, let me take this off. We are, uh, as, as we've all said, we are launching this in order to mobilize people um, around the hemisphere. You know, their uh, governments uh, may issue declarations such as this, but they're under constant U.S. attack, threats, appeals to certain interests uh, in their countries who are uh, not working in the interests of the people. So that is a part of our role here in this process is to mobilize people in those countries, in all of the countries of the region, so that they can speak up, they can be supportive of the elements in their states who want to live up to these principles. Just, just briefly, um, and, and to follow up and add to what Margaret just said, part of this campaign is to, in fact, raise these questions with our friends in these various states. We're quite clear. We say that we believe in the concept of, of total peace. And that concept of total peace means to expel those foreign elements that are, have been bringing death and destruction to our region. So we say that NATO has to be expelled. We again assert that is the it is the U.S. EU NATO axis of domination that represents the real threat uh, to peace and prosperity in our region. So we're going to have conversations. I mean, you know, one of the things that we're going to see that will result from this campaign is more accountability. So legitimizing that relationship uh, between various states and NATO is going to um, come into increased questioning we think during the course of this campaign. And I, th and I think we'll, we'll, we'll be uh, able to successfully see some changes in that relationship. Thank you, Ramu and Jamima Pierre. The question asks what message we have for these governments. And it, it's interesting is to, the, the thing we, should, we would do is basically call out the contradictions. How can you go around asserting sovereignty, especially new governments in Brazil, 
and Colombia um, and Argentina asserting sovereignty, but yet playing almost a lapdog role to the U.S. and then the U.S.-UN NATO axis of domination. How could you support this violent military organization called NATO that's been around for um, really destroying other nations and destroying sovereignty? How do you not know that the U.S. has no friends? (laughs) <laughs> the U.S. has 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 people that and countries that it uses. And so those are the questions I would ask these governments around this. That last voice you heard was Professor Jamima Pierre speaking at a press conference held by Black Alliance for Peace in Washington, D.C., April 4th, 2023, on the subject of launching a zone of peace in the Americas. This is On the Ground. Stay with us. See what key I want to do to them. Everybody knows that they're guilty Everybody knows that they've lied Everybody knows that they're guilty Resting on their conscience, eating their inside It's freedom, said it's freedom time now it's freedom, said it's freedom time now Time to get free, or give yourselves up now It's freedom, said it's freedom time yeah. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. And I'm happy to be joined again by our media critic, John Jeter, former Foreign Bureau Chief for the Washington Post, two-time Pulitzer finalist and co-founder and creator of Black Republic Media. Welcome back to the show, John. Thank you, Esther. Well, I just had to grab you real quick and get your thoughts on today's show because Thursday I heard news reports about a second raid by Israeli forces on the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And I know two years ago it was widely reported that this was like either the second or third holiest site in all of Islam, it really prompted a, you know, a major uprising of Palestinians and Muslims all around the world in support and solidarity with the Palestinian people. This time, I'm not hearing so much about it, but I am hearing about the backlash, you know, from the Muslim world. You know, that's how they always report on Israel. They always, it depends on where you start the story, right? It's on, right, It depends right. on where you start the war. What started the war, right? And, you know, th- this keeps happening, you know, even in Ukraine, right? But we won't go there. So then I come into the house and then I see this footage of the two black young Democrats expelled from the Tennessee legislature That's because right. they held a protest inside the legislature <laughs> over these mass killings of children and adults at the at the school there not long ago in Nashville. And the white legislator wasn't expelled. She was saved by a vote or two. I just want to put this at the top of our news to talk about these as major stories that are going on as, you know, so much of corporate media uh, still focuses on this Trump uh, arraignment. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all Trump all the time on the mainstream media, uh, in the mainstream media, uh, both the, the broadcast and the uh, legacy print media. And there's a shift happening in the world that goes uh, almost wholly unreported, right? Where Western imperialism is dying. You see it in France with the pen, the uh, the workers out in the streets, almost a million workers out in the streets Thursday, 
You see it in Israel where the Israelis are trying to antagonize the Palestinians because, of course, this is how they annex more and more land, steal more and more land from the Palestinians by sowing this chaos on these violent pogroms against the Palestinians, while Israelis are out in the streets protesting Netanyahu doing to them what he's been doing to the Palestinians for years now. So, and then of course here in the United States, you know, how do you, how do you even shape your lips to remove two democratically elected lawmakers because they engage, they participate in a peaceful protest for gun legislation, for anti-gun legislation? Didn't the voters decide that these are the two people that they want to represent them? Should you, if anything, right, should you hold another election? If you have some sort of issue with them, shouldn't there be some other election? Wouldn't that be what democracy requires? So, yeah, we're in a crisis. There's no, uh, they don't even have a counter argument anymore. It's just all blunt force. I hope we begin to describe the social phenomena that is afflicting us. Well, you know, the Tennessee House Speaker, his name is Cameron Sexton. He compared the protest by these lawmakers to the January 6th attack at the U.S. Capitol. And and perhaps that it was at least equivalent, maybe worse. So this is the level of absur- absurdity that we're dealing with right now in terms of the coverage and just this breakdown of common sense, not only here, but just in, in the actions of people like Macron, who bullied his way th- uh, through with this legislation that is basically uh, tearing, you know, French society apart. Those people have no intention of leaving the streets. But, you know, it reminds me, John, of a series that we've been running uh, for, gosh, I guess at least eight years, or we do a monthly, maybe a little less often now, our series called The F Word on Fascism. And uh, there was an awesome panel this week that uh, we aired on WPFW in in Washington, including Medea Benjamin, uh, Ashley Henderson of the Highlander Institute, and a few other just really great speakers. And they really were talking about fascism. They were talking about how when you look at all these seemingly disconnected things, the constant level of police brutality, police murder of, of, of African-Americans, the disenfranchisement of really the, the voters in the, in the districts of these two black legislators in Tennessee, lawmakers in Mississippi have, are trying to do in Jackson, Mississippi, what we saw in Flint, Michigan, and in all the, in all the districts in Michigan impacted by this the emergency um, manager, the emergency manager law, which basically overturns the uh, elected mayor and city council of, of of these cities, which are mostly black. Right, emergency manager law in Michigan. Right. So not only did that inf- uh, impact Flint, but it had impact in Benton Harbor and all these other black majority black districts. Similarly, here in D.C., with this the overturning of our updated criminal right. code. So. It's definitely worth looking at and, and and reporting on, but that's not something that the corporate media is really able to connect these types of dots. No, they're not. They're not capable of connecting those dots and then they're paid not to. So, I mean, you know, really what's happening, you know, the, the, the scholars talk about fascism as the last stage of capitalism. If you understand what's happened over the last 50 years in the United States, the hollowing out of the manufacturing industry, uh, shipping these jobs over overseas. There's no buying power anymore. And so the only way that the the oligarchs can make money is by hooking by crook, by these basically loan sharking, by breaking other countries like Ukraine and then 
selling them weapons and then forcing these exorbitant loans on them. And really, this is what, you know, this is a, this is almost predictable. It's cyclical. If you look back, for instance, at the Wilmington 1898 coup in Wilmington, right, the pogrom which killed an estimated 300 people, mostly Black, that was the oligarchs, again, taking action, right, against the democratically elected representatives because they wanted to get their way. They, they were an obstacle for them redistributing wealth from the, from the poor to the rich, from the working class to the rich. And so we see that happening again, right? And it started, if I may say, it started in earnest, I think. It's been happening, I think it's been coming for probably since at least Bill Clinton's election, I would argue. But it started in earnest with Obama, right? When these subprime mortgages, when that asset bubble burst, and instead of restoring buying power to the people, shaving off a portion of that debt, which was noxious and and really a, a, a product of fraud, Obama showered the banks with money to do it again. That was the start of it, right? That's fascism. The private sector, particularly corporations, working in collusion with the state. That's what fascism is, and that's what we're seeing right now. I know we're both fans of the geopolitical economy report with Ben Norton, and the economist Michael Hudson uh, made some really (laughs) incredible statements on there recently. He talked about how, and this is connected to what you're saying about fascism, is that in that that same situation, the banks should have been nationalized because for the amount of money that they use to prop up these banks, for a fraction of that, those banks could have been nationalized. That's right. And then another thing, they the point they made is that basically the treasury had been privatized. <laughs> I'm trying to oh, remember. Yeah. It was, yeah. Instead of having the banks nationalized, that our U.S. treasury has been privatized. That's <laughs> and right. That That's basically, exactly right. Basically, well, the, all of yeah. our public institutions that are should be existing to serve the people and to keep unemployment low, to make sure that people can have decent jobs, be able to afford a, a place to live, can buy food, can take care of their families. Instead, all of these mechanisms are basically constantly propping up the banks and exactly the oligarchy, right. as you say. And so the, so our public institutions have been privatized in the service of banks. And I was blown away. I was just yeah. like, H- H- wow. Hudson, Hudson is incredible. And let me just say this very quickly, Esther. Uh, so, so the Fed has always been privately owned, right? People don't understand that. So we're right. talking about so the Treasury has been privatized. I'm thinking about that. The federal agency has been privatized. But it's literally that is true. Understand this. What has happened is that the banks would belly up, basically. Essentially, they went belly up because they sold these loans at exorbitant rates. Nobody could have, or very few people could afford to, to pay for them. They they were out of money. They were basically bankrupted. The, the Fed printed money. They printed money out of whole cloth to fork over them in lieu of our buying power, right? And so now they've been printing money for so long, we're starting to see inflation, uh, which is a very complicated thing. But here's what we know. Wages have been flat for almost 40 years now, more than 40 years now. And that what the Fed is doing is they're trying to kill wages by driving up the interest rates so that it kills wages, it kills jobs, basically, because they think that will kill inflation. Wages and, and jobs are not what caused the inflation. What caused the inflation is printing money for very rich people, but printing their profits is what we were doing. And think about the corruption of that. You were talking about fascism. That's fascism. Well, we're going to continue our conversation about this, but I want to let our listeners know, anyone who is in the 
Washington area or can get here, there is going to be a hands-off Al-Aqsa rally at the Lincoln Memorial on Saturday, April 8th at 1 p.m. Some people might be hearing this broadcast after the 8th, but still, it's good to know that people are on the streets. It's sometimes it's good to know that the solidarity is there. So if you're hearing this in time, this is uh, Saturday, April 8th at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., hands off Al-Aqsa on April 8th at the Lincoln Memorial. So we have to go, but uh, I want to thank my guest, John Jeter, co-creator and editor-in-chief of Black Republic Media. Thank you, John. Thank you, Esther. And that's it for today's show. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. We're on two dozen stations on the Pacifica Radio Network and on all your podcast platforms at On the Ground with Esther Ivarum. Our website and archive of all of our shows is onthegroundshow.org. In addition, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and I also link to every show on my Instagram page at Esther underscore Ivarum. Special thank you to our supporters on Patreon.com at On The Ground Show. The music we played this hour included I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel to Be Free by Nina Simone, It's Still About Freedom by Navasha Dea, Freedom Time by Lauren Hill, and our theme music for the show is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Averam. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Peace. <laughs>